The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd advise you to turn back with me one more time to Matthew chapter 13. We've been looking at these seven kingdom of heaven parables. And Lord willing, this will be our last message from Matthew chapter 13 of the kingdom of heaven parables. There are some more parables that give us information on the kingdom of heaven that we'd like to make our way to. This morning, we'd like to focus on the fifth and the sixth of these seven parables in the order that they're given. The seventh is the parable of the net, which we've already considered along with the parable of the wheat and the tares. So this morning, we would like to consider, beginning in verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure, and then in verses 45 to 46, the parable of the pearl of great price. So treasure and pearls is what we'd like to consider this morning. Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus has delivered this uh, message to the multitudes. And then, after he's delivered the parable of the sower and the wheat and the tares and the mustard seed and the leaven, after he's delivered that to the multitudes, then he goes in private and explains the parable of the wheat and the tares. Actually, he explains the parable of the sower as well in private. And then he explains the wheat and the tares. And then after that, we find the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. But I think what is very significant about these two parables is that they're not given to the multitude. And the reason why is because he actually says earlier uh, in this chapter that he spake in parables for the purpose of concealing things from the multitude. And he describes this treasure as not a treasure that's just sitting out that anyone can partake of. It's not a all-you-can-eat buffet of a treasure. No, it's hidden, right? It's, it's concealed. And God saw fit to conceal this, and there are some things that, that has to happen for a diligent child of God to lay hold on this treasure because it is hidden. So he says here in Matthew chapter 13, and in verse 36, he sends the multitude away, and he went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. And then he explains that. He explains the parable of the wheat and the tares that we have considered. And right after that, he gives them these two parables to the disciples. Verse 44. <clears throat> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And then in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, two words that I would like to highlight in each of these that we'd like to expound on. First of all, there's a treasure that's in a field, but this treasure is hidden. The treasure is hidden, and the merchant finds a pearl of great price, but there's a reason why he finds it. It's because he's seeking for it. So the treasure is hidden and the pearl is found because he is seeking for it. First of all, we find that this treasure is hidden. And this is certainly a different depiction, a different contrast uh, than we find in most of Christianity today. Uh, most of eternal life, most of the kingdom is presented as just a, a open box and Jesus says, all right, I love the world. It's all sitting out here in front of you. Anyone that's interested in treasure 
everybody come up to the front and get your portion of treasure, right? I mean, it's all up. It's it's available to you. It's sitting right out right out here in front of you. And anyone that is interested, just come here and get get up, get a lump of treasure and take it home with you, because Christ is just offering eternal life to anyone that is interested in that. Well, that's not what it says, is it? Right. It says that this treasure is hidden, and it's a great mystery. We sang this morning, God moves in mysterious ways, and it's true. God moves in mysterious ways. There's many things that, after studying the Bible for many years, that I, I just don't understand. And I'll tell you, just from my natural perspective, and I understand, uh, I, I say this with all the reverence in the world, because God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But it doesn't make as much sense to me why God conceals some things to some people and then he reveals it to other people. You know, it seems to me that he would want, which I believe that he does, which again makes it even to a larger degree even more confusing. Uh, from my perspective, I know that God desires every single one of his children to believe in free and sovereign grace. He doesn't want uh, his children walking around saying, I sure am glad that I got saved, that I did. So he doesn't really want them saying that. But why is it that, so, that God, who has the ability to, to open anyone's eyes, and he forms them again, and they're, they're, they're born again, they have, they have ears to hear, uh, they have eyes to see. But why is it that God uh, seems to blind some people? Why is it that uh, people, you can explain to them the doctrines of grace just as, as succinctly and just as perfectly as you ever have, and some people just outright reject it. You know, is it that, have you ever meditated on that? Why is it? Why is it that some people just don't understand the simplicity of grace? Grace is so simple. I've been thinking a lot about that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, be very careful because serpent, he beguiled Eve in the Garden of Eden, lest you also in a similar way be corrupted for the simplicity that's in Christ. Aren't you glad for the simplicity that we have in Christ and the simplicity that we have in the church, right? Um, it's simple that there is one God. You know, that's, and, and by the way, that's a very radical concept. Man in his ignorance, and I believe children of God in their ignorance, not knowing any different. What did, what did children of God who desired to worship a higher deity, uh, what did they gravitate to in their ignorance? They gravitated toward polytheism, right? There's a God for everything. And aren't you glad that I, that I only have to go, uh, doesn't matter what problem of or area of life it is, if it's medical, if it's a relationship problem, if it's a harvest problem, uh, I can go to one God to ask about that. Wouldn't it be difficult to remember, okay, my problems uh, with my crop. Now, what's the name of that God again? And where do I go to worship? And what's the sacrifice that he likes again? And then you had to keep up with like a hundred gods? Like, like, that's confusing, isn't it? Uh, isn't it easy that it's one God to worship, right? And then there's nothing simpler than salvation by grace alone. What do you have to do to go to heaven? You trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you don't trust in it to go to heaven. You trust in it because you're already going to heaven, right? Grace is simple. And worship is simple. God made worship very simple, didn't he? Uh, not only do we have the simplistic preaching, praying, and singing, but it's also very simple when you walk in the door that the whole family gets to worship together. You don't have to walk in the door and say, all right, this, this age group goes to the left, this age group goes to the right, uh, we're going to the old folks Bible study, and we're going in five different places. You go here, you go here, you go here, you go here, and I guess we'll see you when we all come back at the car. That, that gets confusing, isn't it? Wait a minute, where's all my kids at? What room are they in? Well, in the Primitive Baptist Church, we know where they're at. <laughs> they're right beside us, right? That's simple. God made things simple. And grace is so simple, isn't it? <laughs> grace is so simple. And it, since it's so simple, maybe it's just because, man, we just can't help ourselves. We just feel like we have to complicate things. And I've even heard some people say, they've 
said it to other preachers who've relayed this, not as much to me personally, but they've told other ministers when they told them about just sovereignty of God and salvation, salvation by grace alone, they said, well, it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. Well, God made it that simple for a reason, right? <laughs> but for some reason, I think we just want to complicate things. For some reason, we can't accept the things that are so simplistic. Now, I say all that to say, why is it, though, that there are children of God that have been born again, and they have an aspect of the kingdom? If you remember some messages we had, it's been a while ago now, but I hope you remember them, that every child of God in a certain aspect is a member of the kingdom of God. Because when you've been translated out of darkness and put into the kingdom of his dear son, you're a part of the kingdom. But there's a big difference, and think about Old Testament Israel, there's a big difference between being on the very outskirts of, of the land of, uh, that is owned by the Israelites, way out on the, the last mile of the, the land that's allocated to the tribe of Gad, right? Way out there in the sticks in Judah, way out there in the sticks in Judea, there's a big difference between being in the kingdom way out in the corner and then being in the capital city of Jerusalem and Mount Zion and a big difference between dwelling at the table feasting with the king, right? So they are in. These are children of God that are in the kingdom in the sense of the new birth. And they are trying to serve God to the best of their ability. But why is it that some people just can't wrap their head around the simplistic message of grace and will outright reject it, most likely, outside of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in their life, uh, will most likely reject grace and never join the primitive atmosphere? Why is that? Why is that? And I don't have a good answer for you. I really don't. Because to me, it seems like God would want everyone living the fullness of the kingdom to a thousand percent all the time, right? And why is it this should make, I don't have a good answer for this. I don't have a good answer for why God is apparently not allowed, in some sense, some people to understand it. The only thing that I can say in regards to that is it should just make us so more thankful that God has allowed me to see it, you know? Because I'm not anything special. You know, I, I don't have a, a uh, better or highly equipped mind to be able to understand it. No, it's simple. It's simple where anyone can understand it. And then not only have I come to it, some people have, have had to work really hard, and they had to really dig for the treasure. I didn't have to dig for the treasure. You know, why is it by, that by God's providence that I was born into uh, the home of a primitive Baptist minister? Why is that? But by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? I mean, the only reason that I was born where I was in the circumstance that I was in, that I had full access to this ever, ever since I was born was by nothing more than the providence and the grace of God. And there's some people that by the providence of grace of God, they haven't had those same privileges. And I don't fully understand why God uh, doesn't allow everyone to fully understand it. I, I don't understand all that. The only thing I can say is, Lord, just thank you for you being so gracious to allow me to understand it, right? Praise God for that. I think we have a little bit of this, under, uh, this, this perspective of why God conceals certain things, at least to here in the immediate audience, of the judicial blindness of the Jews. Um, and I, I, there's a lot to be said for this that, that is well beyond the scope of our message today. Uh, and I don't pretend to fully understand the judicial blindness of the Jews either. But a couple takeaways from God seeing fit to hide things from others and reveal things to others. Number one, just praise God that he's seen fit to reveal it unto me. I am thankful for that. But another thing is, boy, to whom much is given, much is required. And the Jews should have, and maybe that's why the Lord sent this judicial blindness, is because the Gentiles did not have the word of God. The Gentiles did not have these messianic prophecies. The Gentiles didn't have all this, but the Jews had everything laid out right in front of them. And then the Son of God came, and what did they do? They said, well, he's not what we expected. He can't be from Nazareth. He can't be a carpenter. 
He looks just like everybody else. He doesn't look like a, a, a champion king uh, riding in on a great white horse. No, he, he looks like just like the rest of us. And he comes riding in on a colt in the foal of an ass. You know, this can't be who, I mean, this can't be the Messiah. Uh, so possibly a portion of this judicial blindness is because God gave them everything at their disposal. And they looked at Jesus and said, well, you know what? That's not really who we want. We don't really want a, a Messiah like that. Oh, wait a minute. He's setting up a kingdom that's just a spiritual kingdom, and we still got to put up with these Romans? We, he's not kicking out the Romans? You know, I think we're just going to assume that he's not the Messiah in hopes that there's somebody else that is coming in the future that's finally going to get rid of these Romans. Because that's the only thing they cared about, the Messiah. It sounded like, that. Lord, just get rid of these Romans. That's the only thing they wanted the Messiah to do. But when he came to his own, and his own received him not, the Lord said, okay, okay. You've chosen to reject the word of God that's sitting in front of you, and because of that, I am going to restrict some of your kingdom privileges. And he put a judicial blindness as a whole, not, not a 100% whole, but in the general sense, he put a blindness on Jews to not understand during the life of Jesus Christ, it wasn't until his resurrection and the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost that all these Jews started flushing into the kingdom. How many, uh, how many people were left when Jesus died? Just 120, right? A small little remnant. But then what happened when God kind of lifted that blindness a little bit? Now all of a sudden you're having 3,000 people joining, right? You're having 5,000 people joining. You're having multitudes joining, you see? But he restricted their vision for a little bit. So he, he speaks a little bit at that, about that judicial blindness here earlier in the chapter in Matthew 13, and we haven't spent much time on this. And the disciples asked him in private, why are you speaking in parables? You know, why aren't you just, uh, if, you're, if you're preaching parables to the multitude and you're explaining everything in private, or two parables in private, the sower and the wheat and the tares in private, if you're explaining it to us, why aren't you just telling the explanation to them to start with, Right? Well, that's reasonable, isn't it? Like, if you're, if you're going to explain it to us, why aren't you just telling the explanation to start with so everyone understands it? Why are you speaking to the multitudes in parables? And this is why. Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That's interesting, right? The disciples. Now, why is it that to you is given the mysteries to understand the kingdom of heaven. Why is it? Because these are men that left all to follow Christ. They weren't being lukewarm. They weren't sitting on the fence and saying, well, you know, I wonder if this is the Messiah or not. Well, I wonder, I wonder. What did they do? They were called to follow Christ and they left all and followed Christ. And I will tell you, this is the treasure and the pearl that we're going to get into that you will not experience the greatest degree of this treasure and this pearl unless you are fully serving Christ and following Christ. Because understand, there are things that the multitudes did not get to experience and they did not get to understand why. Why? Because they had not left all to follow Christ. They were willing to listen, but then they were like, okay, well, that's nice. Well, I guess we'll just go back home and and go about our daily life instead of, this is the Son of God. I'm going to leave everything to follow the Son of God. So he said, listen, you, those of you that have chosen to follow me in steadfast discipleship, it is given unto you to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not given. God's going to restrict some understanding. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him, it shall be taken away even that he hath. Well, that doesn't sound fair, does it? He said, look, those of you that have this understanding, you're going to get more understanding. But those of you that don't have it, I'm going to take away that what, he, uh, what you do have. 
That, that sounds a lot like the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You remember that? That we're going to, Lord willing, be making our way to because that's a likened unto the kingdom of heaven. You remember that? There were five talents and went out and got five more talents. And he said, good job. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Person that got two, they went and got two more. And then the person that had one, he said, well, you know, you're, you're a hard man. I didn't want to mess up, so I just hit it in the ground. And by the way, here, here's your one back. And God wasn't happy with that. And he said, okay, I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to give it to the guy who's already got 10. Now, we look at that and be like, oh, wait a minute, that's not fair. Hold up now. Why are you taking away? He's only got one. <laughs> to whom much is given, much is required. Okay? And if we're faithful with what God has given us, and we prove ourselves faithful, that's the, that's the person he's going to say, by the way, here's, a here's another one for you. Here's a bonus one for you. Here's a bonus one for you. But if we don't use what God has given us, then don't be surprised. God's long-suffering. Praise God he is. But he is not eternity suffering. <laughs> He's long-suffering, but there comes a point where if you prove to be an unfaithful steward, even you do this in your own life, don't you? If there comes a period of time, I'm going to give you a full opportunity to prove yourself, but... If you prove to be an unfaithful steward, you know what? I think I'm going to pick somebody else. If you find out, let's, let's say it in an investment sense, because talents there are speaking of a financial transaction. You know, let's say if you're wanting to do some retirement planning and you choose someone and then you find out on the news or through some other means, that oh, wait a minute, they've been embezzling funds for 20 years. Are any of you going to look at them and be, be like, well, you know what? I've been with him that long. I think I'm going to stick with that guy. That guy that, that's going to prison for embezzlement and fraud. You know, I think I'm going to stick with this steward that's proven to be unfaithful. You know, I'm going to pull my money out. And I'm going to say, I'm going to find somebody who, who has proven to be uh, faithful, right? We do that too. We're not going to perpetually uh, give our investment to someone who continually proves to be unfaithful. And God said, look, I'm going to give you every chance. But if you continually prove to be unfaithful, don't be surprised when God takes away what he's given you, okay? To whom much is given, much is required. He goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and, and they hear not, neither do they understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which is Isaiah, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart, now, this, this has a lot to do with why they weren't understanding some things that were being preached to them. If they were in tune with the Word of God they and in tune with the Scriptures and with the Lord, it would have sunk into them. But why? This people's heart is waxed gross. They're distracted. Their eye has not been single. They're, the people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. It's not that they can't hear. They're just dull of hearing. And their eyes, notice this. This may be the most telling. Not that they don't have eyes. Their eyes, they have closed. Their eyes, they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes. <laughs> which, which, by the way, this also tells you I said God's not uh, always going to be long-suffering, but this also tells you really how simple it is for God to reveal some things to you. If you've chosen to close your eyes, what's the best way for you to have vision? Hey, open your eyes back up, right? <laughs> That's pretty simple, isn't it? If you've chosen to close your eyes, God said, all right, if you're going to choose, if you have vision, if you're going to choose to choose to walk around with your eyes closed, running into doors, and running into everything just because you're making yourself blind, you know what? I'm not going to always move that door out of the way. <laughs> if you choose to walk around blind, I'm going to cause you to stub your toe a bunch because you're being foolish to walk around blind. You want to know what the remedy for that is? He said, hey, open up your eyes. You closed them. <laughs> you closed them. Open them back up, right? Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Now that tells you they're born again children of God, right? Because they can be converted and they can uh, be healed. 
But blessed, verse 16, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. And boy, isn't that the truth? Those Old Testament prophets were so much more faithful than I am as a New Testament. Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, especially Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Hosea, who had to go get his wife from the house of whoredom so many different times. Those Old Testament prophets were so much more faithful, I believe we can say, than almost any minister today. But they did not understand these mysteries of the kingdom that we have laid out right in front of us. And I'll tell you, the Lord does not take very kindly when we just close our eyes, when we choose to stop up our ears and when we choose to close our eyes. So it's a great mystery of why God sees fit to hide some things. He says that in Matthew chapter 11, doesn't he? Uh, I have hid these things from the wise and prudent but I've revealed them unto babes. Wait a minute, that doesn't really sound fair. Why have you choose, uh, seen fit to do that? Verse 26, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. I mean, I don't have a great answer for it other than the fact that God is sovereign and he expects fruit and he expects us to use what we have and if for some reason we don't, God's not unrighteous to allow us to reap what we sow, Okay. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. The treasure is hidden. Now, if we're going to find this treasure, the first thing is you need to be looking in the right place, right? A treasure is hidden in the field, but you're not going to find this treasure out in the world. You're not going to find this treasure in bars and in all the unsavory establishments of this world, where are you going to find this treasure? Well, God's been gracious enough to give us a bit of a treasure map, hasn't he? Which is the word of God. It's the scriptures. Where are you going to find the treasure? One of the primary places that you're going to find the treasure is in the kingdom. and It's in Mount Zion. It's in the church. God, God is, has told us where we need to be seeking this treasure. But even when we're in the right general location, right? We're in the field. We're in the right general location. This treasure is still hidden. It's still, which makes it makes you wonder if it's hidden. And I don't think that this parable elaborates necessarily on this. Uh, is this a treasure that one end of the treasure is kind of sticking up and you see a corner of it and, oh, wait a minute, what is that? And you go and you look. And, um, I think from the wording that this is probably saying that it's fully buried. Okay? Not that, and not, not to say that some people don't stumble into the kingdom, because they do. <laughs> so many, many good primitive Baptists have stumbled into the kingdom. You know, they're just walking along and then they stub their toe and, and that, that's the corner of the treasure sticking up. But I would say that it's possible that this treasure is fully hidden. It's fully buried. And if it's fully buried, how is it that anyone can ever find the treasure? <laughs> I'll tell you, about the only way that anyone can really find this treasure is by the grace of God. I mean, if, think about it. If you don't know, we're not walking around with this field with metal detectors, right? How is it that, how is it that you're going to find this treasure if it's fully buried and you don't know exactly where? You know it's in this field somewhere. You know it's in the field somewhere. But how is it that you're going to find this treasure if it's fully buried? How is it that any of us find the kingdom? I mean, does some of us have a leg up? I mean, I had a leg up. I was born in a primitive Baptist church. Praise God for that. I had a little bit of a leg up. But how is it, I know a lot of people that have been born in a primitive Baptist church that have fully left the kingdom. So that's not the only uh, determining factor, right? How is it that anyone finds this kingdom if it's fully buried? Boy, by, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? It's by the providence of God that I have been, even if I was put in a more advantageous position, it's solely by the grace and the providence of God that I found this treasure. But the point is, is when you find this treasure and you really get it, and this is why I get, 
get so frustrated with people. Why don't you get it? And I, and I, I know that's a rhetorical question because I've been talking this whole time about it's hidden and I don't understand why people don't get, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm speaking a rhetorical question, but if you get a, if some people maybe never get a glimpse of the treasure, I get that. But if you've seen the glimpse of the treasure, it's evident that you don't understand the value of the treasure. If you understood the value of the treasure, you'd be willing to sell all that you have to possess that treasure. Why don't people understand the value of the treasure? I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have a good answer for that. But the only thing I, I can do, though, is look in the mirror and say, am I exhibiting and exemplifying what makes this treasure better than everything else? And I'll let you meditate on that on your own, but I'm ashamed to say I know the answer to that question. I think about that a lot. How, because there's a lot of good children of God that are uh, experiencing a degree of the kingdom. They are. They're experiencing a degree of the kingdom. But I believe that the Primitive Baptist Church the original Baptist church that worships the God in spirit and in truth, that preaches salvation by God's sovereign grace alone, is the greatest expression and the most joy-filled experience of the kingdom that a child of God can experience here in this world. I believe that. I believe that. But what distinguishes me from all these other good, godly, moral Christians that attend all these other churches, right? What, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? There should be something about those of us that really have the true treasure that should be evident to people that even in other churches, even good godly people in other denominations, that they should see our treasure beaming out of our life and say, you know what? I love the Lord, but there's something different about this primitive Baptist person. There's something different about what they're exhibiting. And that's why this makes me feel so condemned is because I know that the treasure doesn't radiate out of me to attract others to the kingdom in the manner that it ought to. I know that that treasure is not radiating out of me at work when I'm frustrating because people don't do their jobs right. <laughs> and I've got to clean up the mess after them. I know that it doesn't radiate out of me in the manner that it ought to, but there should be something about the treasure that identifies it different than, and really the pearl is really the better. We're not done with the treasure yet, but I want to skip to the pearl for a minute because this is a merchant that is used to looking at pearls. You know, this is, this is a little bit different than someone who's a poor man, so to say, that's in this treasure and he finds the treasure and he says, I gotta have that treasure. I gotta have that field. Well, this is a merchant. He's a businessman. He's still in business, so I guess he's doing okay, right? If he was a bad merchant, he would be bankrupt by now. So he, he, he's in the business, but I want you to notice, he is in the business of pearls. This other person doesn't have a treasure. They find the treasure. They said, I got to have that treasure. This guy has seen plenty of pearls. He's seen plenty of pearls. But this is the point, though. He was not satisfied with the pearls that he had found up to that point. He was not satisfied. And it's a double-edged sword because I know that we can be better ambassadors for the kingdom. We can. But it's also true that you can't comfort the comfortable. You can't comfort the comfortable. Unless someone is seeking a goodly pearl, then this, this goodly pearl that I have doesn't mean anything to you. And there's so many people in American Christianity today that are totally content being lukewarm. They're totally content being lukewarm. Now, you may be content with that, 
But I'll tell you who's not content with you being lukewarm. Jesus Christ, who told those Laodiceans, I'm ready to spew you out of my mouth. You make me want to vomit. That's how the Lord views lukewarmness. But there are many children of God that are very content being lukewarm. And I'll tell you, unless you are seeking something different, you're probably going to be content where you're at. But this is a merchant who was looking for something better. Looking for something. Not everybody's looking for something better. You know, I see many of these churches, and I believe there are many sincere children of God that love the Lord that are at these churches. Go to these deluded worship service with thousands of people there, don't know anybody there. Deluded worship service. They love the Lord. Now, I would say the majority of them, and if I'm speaking in too much of generalities, I pray you'll forgive me. But I would say a large majority of them are very content doing what they're doing. They don't really want, but they want to blend into the crowd. They don't want to be in a church where everybody knows your name and you do have accountability and you do have fellowship and people will ask you if you're not there. You will stand out when you show up. People don't want that. Many people don't want that. But there are some people, though, there are some people that are seeking a goodly pearl. But I can't cause anyone to desire to seek that. That's why, and I say this with as much humility as as I can, um, I pray that the Holy Spirit will make many of God's children discontented. Discontented. Because as long as you're content being lukewarm, you're going you're gonna to be totally fine going to this, this other church where you blend in and you, you hear a watered-down 15-minute sermonette. And you don't hear, uh, you've never experienced worship in spirit and in truth, and you don't hear the, the preaching of the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to them that are saved. That, that, those are the powerful aspects of the kingdom of heaven. Many children of God, if we're just being honest, many children of God don't want that. They're not interested in the primitive pattern. But, but, I believe there are, are some people that are seeking the goodly pearl. But until you're seeking it and you're, until you're looking for something else, the simplistic pattern may not be attractive to you. It may not be. Because you have different goals. You have different priorities. But I pray that the Lord will make many children of God discontent to where they actually said, I want to seek something else. Because that merchant was not content with what he had. And he said, the, you know, he looked at it, one of those pearls. Man, this is a nice one. But you know what? I think there's something better. This is a nice one, but I think there's something better. And then he finally found the one. He finally found the pearl of great price, and he said, you know what? This is worth everything I've got. This is worth selling out for and retiring. This is what I've been looking for this whole time. And there are many, many people that came from other backgrounds that have found that treasure of the kingdom that, that when they got it, they said, this pearl is worth everything I've got. This pearl is worth selling out to go get it. This treasure is worth selling out to buy the whole field. But until you're looking for something, you're not going to find anything, <laughs> right? You're, you're not going to find anything. So the treasure is hidden, but I want you to notice the reason why this man was willing to sell all that he had to possess this treasure. What was the reason for it? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in the field, the which when a man had found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. What's the reason why this man was willing to sell all that he had to possess the hidden treasure? Why? For joy. For joy. We talked about the parable of the talents. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He said, the, the blessing that you're going to receive is not a higher, 
you know, this steward was given five talents. He got five talents more. He didn't say, great job, I'm giving you a 50% raise. Great job, I'm going to give you more money. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And what is the reward for faithful stewardship? Enter into the joy of thy Lord. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We're told that in Habakkuk. Psalm 48 and verse 2. Mount Zion is the joy of the whole earth. This kingdom that we have is where we will experience true joy unspeakable and full of glory. It is where we will experience a peace that passes all understanding. And once you've got a little bit of a taste of that joy... The world ought not satisfy it anymore. And that's why he said, I'm willing to sell all that I have to go get that field. For the joy of the treasure. The joy of the treasure. Now the pearl, this merchant man was seeking a goodly pearl. Seeking a goodly pearl. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, it would be very easy in this culture, think about Peter. Peter had a wife. I would presume he had children. We're not told that, but I would presume that he did. And he had a good job. He was a fisherman. He took care of his family, the best we know. And he was called to leave that to be a fisher of men. He, he said, leave, leave what you're doing, leave the nets, and come and follow me. Well, it would have been very easy for Peter to put on his, uh, which I can relate to this, put on his logical accountant hat and say, so I have a good job that pays this amount of money and we're just barely getting by right now. I mean, these kids, they're growing, you know, they're outgrowing their sandals. They're, they're outgrowing all their, all their clothes. You know, we're just barely making, making ends meet right now. And Lord, you're telling me to leave these nets. You're telling me to leave all of this stuff. And boy, one of the most underlooked, uh, devoted disciples in the New Testament kingdom was Peter's wife. Amen. <laughs> she kept the home fires burning. While, while she was out, while he was out serving the Lord. But it would have been very easy for Peter to start making excuses about, well, what about food? What about raiment? What about these kids I got to feed? What about our shelter? What did the Lord say? If you put the kingdom first and you seek righteousness, if you put the kingdom first, all these things are going to be provided for you. And... What Scripture doesn't say is that Peter's wife and, uh, and family starved to death, right? <laughs> it doesn't say that, does it? No. I doubt that they had a tremendous amount of excess, but God provided for their needs because he put the kingdom first. And it's very easy for us to get a little bit too practical sometimes. It'd be like, well, if I put the kingdom first, then X, Y, Z... Listen, God takes care of all the other stuff. If you put the kingdom first, he's going to take care of his children. Now, what's, what's great about the kingdom? <laughs> what's great about the kingdom? He said, seek you first the kingdom. What's great about the kingdom is if you seek the kingdom, you will find the kingdom. There's some things that we seek and we pray if the Lord's will to be done. We seek and we may not always find it. You know, We seek for a job. We apply for a job. Well, it may not be the Lord's will for you to have that job. You know, we seek to purchase a house. May not be the Lord's will to purchase that, you know, purchase that house. There's things that we seek that it may not be the Lord's will. But the kingdom is something that if you seek it, the Lord said, if you seek it, you will always find it. You will always find it. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now, that doesn't apply with every single prayer we pray. But I'll tell you what it does apply to. It applies to the kingdom. And he says, Everyone that asketh receiveth. And everyone that seeketh findeth. 
And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And the beauty of this promise is that if you seek the kingdom, you're going to find the kingdom. You're going to find the treasure by the providence of God. And then when you get it, when you see it, when you see the joy, when you see the treasure, when you see the pearl of great price, our reaction should be not to negotiate. You know, we've considered that quite a few times as we've went through the kingdom of heaven. There's some people that says, yeah, Lord, I'm willing to follow, follow you, but will you let me do X, Y, and Z first? Listen, discipleship is not a negotiation. <laughs> All right, Lord, I know you're asking for me to fully serve you, but I'm willing to give you this area of my life and this area of my life and this percentage of my finances. Listen, discipleship is a all or nothing proposition. And by the way, why is that the case? Because your life is not your own. You want to know why it's not your own? Because you've been bought with a price. If you're a member of the kingdom of God, that means you have been purchased by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on the cross of Calvary. It's not your own anymore. If we seek the kingdom, we will find the kingdom. Now, at the end of the day, <clears throat> what is this treasure and what's the pearl? What's the treasure and what's the pearl that is worth selling all that you have to possess that pearl? The treasure is Christ. The treasure is Christ. It's Jesus Christ. It's greater fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ. Now, this kind of gets back to the question we asked before. What is it that sets our treasure apart from other people's treasure? Because there's a lot of good, godly people. They've got Jesus Christ. They've got Christ. They love Christ. They, they, they serve Christ to the best of their knowledge and the best of their ability. They have Christ. But the closer that you walk in the kingdom of heaven with the Lord, you will have a greater joy with Jesus as you press closer toward the palace of the king in the middle of the kingdom. Right? You will have a greater fellowship with Jesus Christ in this kingdom than you will going to another denomination that doesn't worship in spirit and in truth. That doesn't extol the sovereignty of God and salvation that dilutes the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You will have a greater fellowship and devotion with the Lord in the kingdom of heaven than you will anywhere else in this world. In Philippians chapter 3, we've went here a couple different times, that Paul said, these are all the things I gave up for the kingdom. I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. I gave up all this stuff just to have greater communion and fellowship and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say in verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. In other words, Christ has laid hold of me already. And now, in return, I want to lay hold of Christ. He's brought me into his kingdom, but now I want to lay hold on his kingdom in return. And brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know, he, Paul says, I'm still trying. He, he wasn't content with his, with his experience in the kingdom of heaven yet, which is amazing to think about, isn't it? Paul said, I, I haven't reach the fullness of heights of joy in the kingdom of heaven yet. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Understand, Christ is the treasure. And you want to talk about the treasure being hidden to the world, <laughs> and this is to our shame, but it is what it is, uh, most people have no idea who the primitive Baptists are. And I do believe that this is 
the greatest, most intimate expression of the kingdom of God that we can experience here in this world. But it is not that impressive to the people of this world when they come here and we say, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven. We believe this is worship in spirit and in truth. And the Lord manifests himself here in this assembly in a manner he doesn't manifest anywhere else. And they would then say, well, if this is the real kingdom of heaven, why do you only have 10 people here today? It, it's not very impressive to the world, is it? This treasure is not very impressive to the world. And the majority of people won't get it because it's hidden. It's hidden, right? But I do believe that there are some people that are not content where they're at. I do believe there are some people that are seeking the goodly pearl. And I want you to understand, we've got it. We've got the treasure. We've got the pearl. We just have to exemplify that the value of that treasure more in our life. We're going to stand and sing number 469 to close, which is Jesus is all I wish or want. And I'm going to read these lyrics for you as you're standing up. <clears throat> number 469. Jesus is all I wish or want. For him I pray, I thirst, I pant. Let others after earth aspire, but Christ is the treasure that I desire. He's the treasure that's hidden in a field. Possessed of him, I ask no more. He is an all-sufficient store. To praise him all, my powers conspire. Christ is the treasure I desire. Now, what's the real treasure? It's the smiling face of the king. It's the joy of the Lord. If he is smiling face but hide, my soul no comfort has beside. Distressed, I after him inquire. Christ is the treasure I desire. And while my heart is racked with pain, Jesus appears and smiles again. Why should my Savior thus retire? Christ is the treasure I desire. Come humble souls and view his charms. Take refuge in his loving arms and sing while you his worth admire. Christ is the treasure that I desire. And I'll tell you, Christ is worth selling out to possess the kingdom. His treasure is worth it. His pearl is worth it. And I pray we can have a higher priority on that kingdom that we can see the value of the treasure and the pearl that we have been given and to the best of our ability by the grace of God exhibit the joy of that treasure to those that we come in contact with on a daily basis. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.